I think a long time before I even use a pencil what I want to make. It's all in my head. Sometimes I wake up at night and I can actually go through the whole piece and how I make it. The whole shape is in my head, but until it's actually together, nobody will see it. This is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl from the Australian Design Centre. In this series, we'll go behind the scenes of Australia's richest award for contemporary craft and design, the MAKE Award, biennial prize for innovation in Australian craft and design. In this episode, our guest is MAKE Award finalist, master metalsmith, Johannes Kunin. To see an image of Johannes's entry, have a look in your podcast app or go to our website, australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. Johannes is known for his anodized metalwork, but in this episode, we hear what he really thinks about this process. Welcome, Johannes. It's wonderful to be able to talk with you. Yeah, it's very nice to be able to come to Sydney for the exhibition opening and also to do this podcast for the Australian Design Centre. Johannes, what is it about anodizing, a technique you've used for much of your career? What do you love about it? I actually don't love it. It's, okay. <laughs> it's highly irritating and it's very time-consuming. But the reason I started with anodized aluminium, I wanted to make jewellery that was affordable. At the very first time, the gold prices hiked up crazily. So I thought uh, aluminium is a much cheaper material and I could get colours. I was interested in using colours. And... I was fortunate enough that my professor, Friedrich Becker, then says, there's aluminium guys in town that tell you everything about it. Go and see them. So I trotted into their flash office and he says, oh, look, here's all the booklets. I got all the literature on aluminium. Fantastic. Complete with a list of everybody who anodized in Germany with their color range and bath sizes. But I said, you can't do it yourself. We have this demo unit. So out comes a very nice aluminium carry case and inside are little plastic tubs, a little bit of acid and a really cheap battery charger. That's all you need to anodize with. And the school says, oh, we buy that. So they bought it and set it up in the art school and started anodizing. So I was one of the first guys who, who did it. It was a little battery charger and a five-litre tank. Of course, it was far too small. So I replaced it with bigger tubs and suddenly had 70-litre tanks so I could do bigger pieces. Mm. So I continued making anodized aluminium jewellery. Now I could go bigger. But there were constraints with the material. So to go bigger than the dimensions of a tank, I had to make them small pieces and put them together. And that was the start of segmented tray and vessel forms. Ah, oh, very interesting. Nobody else was doing that at that time. Oh. There was one guy in the UK, Pierre Degas. He anodized, but he used commercial anodizers in England because England is always, was always more quirky. You had guys that did funny colors. Graphic design at that time in, in the UK was 
outstanding was far brighter than Germany. Mm -hmm. So there were people that would handle small pieces. So he get it all done. Whereas I had to set it up and try it all by myself. So I was one of the first guys who, who did it. So I basically was a pioneer. And when I came to Australia in 81, somebody says, oh, look, there's an access workshop down in Melbourne called Workshop 3000. You can hire a bench there while you're still waiting for your tools and you can do things. And so I did piecework for very conventional jewelers and hired a bench and bought a few hand tools. And Susan Conn, Marion Hosky and Harry Rowlands were running it. And I got a commission from Susan Conn to make two bangles for her. And Susan Conn ever anodizes since then, you know. Amazing. So 50 years you've been anodizing. Is it still tormenting you? No, it doesn't torment me. It's simply when you anodize, you have a fairly high failure rate unless you're doing the same pieces on setting rigs all the time as on it. Every time you have a clamp on it, it leaves a white spot while you anodize. So you have to conceal all that. It's the frustration of that it doesn't always turn out as perfect as you wanted it to be. A never-ending yeah. lifelong challenge. And it takes a long time to get a result. It's about three hours between cleaning the piece and getting it out of the steamer or the, the boiling water at the end. Your work, Remnant Green, is a finalist in the Australian Design Centre's inaugural Make Award. Congratulations on that. And how does it feel to be part of this award exhibition? I know that you've been a finalist in many awards. Look, I think it's a, a fantastic initiative and that's why I'm glad to be in that because at this stage of my career, I don't expect to be winner because there are too many people that know me and things like that. The young people have to get that. Somebody else has to get that, you know. Fantastic. I think it's great for audiences to be able to see such a fine example of your work too and to have that chance to have that work with us for more than a year and touring around so that that many audiences can see that and wonder how it's been made. Describe Remnant Green for us. Yeah, Remnant Green is a vessel form which satisfies the Australian definition of a piece of art. It will not hold water. It will leak, so it can be art. It's not functional. But it's, in, in one way, a bit of a basket. If I describe it, it's a jagged oval with buttress blades that come up with a three millimeter thick titanium. The voids between these buttresses are filled with thin titanium sheets. And they're anodized on the outside, but not on the inside. For that, I get a reflection of the aluminium base plate at the bottom. And the base plate is colored green in that time. And my titles are sometimes a bit flippant. It's also a beautiful, vibrant color. It's a very vibrant green. That's what I'm missing, not anodizing myself these days, because I would mix the colors to get a particular tone. So I rely on somebody else's color range, what they have in their tub. If we touched the work, which we're not going to encourage people to do, but if we touch the work, how would it feel? It will feel cool because it's metal if Mm -hmm. the ambient temperature is permitting that. Mm. It probably would leave a fingerprint, so I wouldn't be that happy about that. (laughs) A very smooth surface, It's a very smooth surface. Titanium is a metal I I don't want to polish. So I actually 
edge fed a little bit or sandblasted and use abrasives on it, but with some power tools, it's a very fine surface. This is a particularly beautiful object. It's remarkable in its scale for what we call hollowware or metalwork, but remarkably for a work of anodized aluminium and a piece of geometry. As one moves around the object, the color changes because of the complexity and sophistication of the anodizing process. And the way in which color is modulated in the interior of the object is highly innovative and sophisticated. The reflection of the green on the interior, which is only coming from the base. So it's a very beautiful object, but the scale is very impressive. So that's why uh, we decided that it was worthy of being a, a finalist. I am Jason Smith, the Director and CEO of Geelong Gallery in Victoria, and I am one of the four judges for the Make Award. So, Johannes, when you're making a work, what drives you? Is it coming from an intellectual curiosity? Is it coming from an emotional place? I, I think it's more an intellectual, conceptual approach. Arrangement of forms, arrangement of colours, intersecting lines. I want to explore that sort of thing. I don't work emotionally. So tell us the story behind Remnant Green. What brought it into the world? Because I made these segmented vessel forms, I started off basically with saying, oh, okay, I want a vessel form. I want it a bit higher. I want it. I can only manage that sort of size. And so it's about 400 odd millimeters long, 380 mil wide, and 220 millimeters high. And it's all based on measurements. It's serious number crunching. And when I relate that to what I have in stock as material or which stock I can get, because there are limitations. Titanium has to be flown over from the United States or something like that, or buy mm. it sometimes in Melbourne. But there's always a few thousand dollars in it. And even these little bits of gold tubing that I use to actually stitch it together at the very top. It's only eight carat gold and it's reclaimed gold, but it still has a value of yeah. well over a thousand dollars. I start off with drawing an oval and and I use a assistant to do the the CAD work because I need too much time to get back into it. Ah, so the CAD work, the computer software. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the computer drawing for mm. it. So I'm sitting next to my former student, and she follows my instructions. Oval, 15 segments, shift that one over by 10, that one over to by 3, give that a tilt of 2 degrees. Uh, she is amazed that it works, that numbers come together. Fantastic. It's an exercise a in metal arithmetic for me. <laughs> yeah, completely. Metal arithmetic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, fantastic. So for me personally, it was not a surprise that he is in the finals. Based with the concept and the technique of using the material is all exceptional. And that's why it's being recognized worldwide in terms of approach is very unique. And the geometric interpretation of the material and the use of the color, I think is a one-off. So. Obviously, it's a final piece. 
My name is Hei Young Cho. I've been chosen as the jury member for the 2023 Make Award. I'm currently the chair lady of the oldest academic association known as the Korea Association of Art and Design and also expert panel at the Loewe Foundation Craft Prize. Remnant green was cut using water jet cutting. I tried cutting titanium on bandsaws and things like that. But it would kill a blade after 10 minutes. So using digital cutting processes like laser cutting, water jet or wire cutting gives me much greater precision mm -hmm. and makes it actually possible. I wanted to ask you, Johannes, the awards are about innovation in design and contemporary craft. How did innovation come into this particular work? Innovation relies on a certain level of perspective. Uh, work can be innovative in a way where it challenges materials, the makeability of a material. It can be innovative in challenging conception of design of an object. It can be innovative in the field of contemporary practice. And I think it fulfills that. But for me, it was simply an extension of my journey with segmented tri- and vessel forms. Mm -hmm. My training as a jeweler, as a goldsmith actually in Germany, I was extremely fortunate to do that with a very prominent internationally recognized goldsmith at the forefront of contemporary jewelry practice. Who was that? Friedrich Becker. Hmm. And he, from the first day, instilled into me that you had to be innovative. Innovation was everything. And he didn't accept anybody's work if it didn't have a level of innovation. One of the really interesting things about Johannes's work is that he has this strange and wonderful combination of earnestness and joy. And there is a kind of seriousness to the making, but actually the kind of playfulness of the geometry and colour um, is a really nice antidote to the seriousness. It's really wonderful to have a, a significant work by Johannes in the finalists exhibition. He's been such an extraordinarily influential, not just maker and artist, but thinker in the craft and design space in, in this country for three or four decades. I'm Brian Parks, I'm CEO at Jam Factory in Adelaide, and I'm very pleased to be one of the judges for the Make Award. And how do you think generally then that awards might make a difference for a creative career or to an artist and a designer? I think awards are terrific. In my early days, I won quite a few of them. And they came at the right time. I think in 1972, I won a, an award in Germany to make a piece of jewellery with less than 10 grams of gold. And I made a shine and I won that prize. So it bought me a set of rolling mills, perfect timing. A few years later, with Helen, my wife, we did a combined piece where we made a tray form in silver with an enameled rim in it. And we won that one too. The tray is now in the collection of Art Gallery of Western Australia. It can establish a career. It's fantastic, isn't it? Because 
the materials that you work in particularly are expensive and the tools that you work with are expensive. To say to have that uh, prize money early on to help you to buy the tools of your trade and to buy your Mm. materials is, I think, really important. And I think if if that's something that we can do with the Make Award, enable some people to reinvest back into their career with the prize money, then I think that's money well spent. Yeah. We always have done that. It was money came in, we would spend it on more toys. More toys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. More toys. Thank you so much for talking with me, Johannes. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That's Metal Smith, Johannes Kuhnen. You can see Johannes' work on our website, along with 30 finalists in the Make Award. Go to australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. Objects, Stories of Design and Craft is an Australian Design Centre podcast produced by Jane Curtis with sound engineering by John Jacobs. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.